Okay, today I'm at Kempton Park with renowned author Neil Clark. Neil, you've um, Hi, Simon. just released your uh, new book, Champion Horse Race Jockeys from 1945 to the Present Day. And tell us a little bit about it and why you wrote it. Well, it's amazing to think that uh, nobody had ever done this before. There hadn't been a single book which told the story of all the champion uh, jockeys since the Second World War in one volume. And in fact, uh, quite a number of the champions, including the five times champion Tim Maloney, there'd been actually no book written about them. There'd been no biography, which is quite extraordinary. So uh, how the book came about, uh, I, was, uh, a pro I, I write a lot and I have written a lot for the Daily Express as a feature writer. And the former features editor got in touch with me and said that she was working for a publisher who wanted to, uh, to do a branch out into the sort of sports books and racing books and what ideas I had for, for a new book and come up with an idea of this. We came up with this idea of putting t telling the story of all these wonderful champions in one volume for the very first time. And it's, it's a great opportunity really to tell the story of people like not only Tim Maloney, but people like uh, the remarkable Jack Dowdswell, one of the early post-war champions. He had never had a book written about him before. A major book that is and uh, so so it was a great opportunity really and I hope I've done these wonderful men justice. Okay we we'll talk a bit more about them in a minute but have you got a, a racing background? Yes I mean I've always followed racing I'm for, I mean I've been I've been mistaken for a jockey a few times when I've been going up and down the country doing the signings saying people asking me oh were you a champion jockey I said no alas I wasn't I was actually mistaken for Peter Scudamore believe it or not once when I was up with Rupert uh, Mackerson, Rupert Mackerson selling at Aintree and uh, a couple of race, uh, it was announced that Peter Scudamore would be signing and I was actually helping out Rupert on the stall that day and a couple of race goers came up wanted to have the picture with me and they thought I was Peter Scudamore and I only sort of twigged it when they were asking me what was my favourite ride and what, 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 what was the, the, you know, the best race I won, what were the great memories and I was thinking hang on a minute you, know, you might be confusing me with somebody else. <laughs> no, I've got a racing background in, in the sense that I've always followed racing, always loved racing, always gone racing read about racing, written about racing, but I'm, alas, I'm not a former jockey. I'd love to have been one though. I mean, writing this book makes me really, really wish that I had actually ridden, uh, you know, at this kind of level okay. that these guys did. Uh, you started at 1945. Was, was that purely logistical because you could just get to people that still knew these, these guys? Yeah. Well, I mean, the Champion Jump Jockeys Championship goes way back to 1900. And uh, I could have done, you know, obviously, from the very beginning, but... We had a sort of, uh, we were the limits on the word count of the book. As it was, I actually went over the word count a little bit because there was just so much to tell about the, the story of these jockeys. So we decided 1945 would be a good, good point to begin because, as you said, you've still got people around who would remember them, uh, family members, etc., and that would bring the book more to life, I think. And, uh, you know, we've had some wonderful interviews in the book with family members like Jack Dowdswell's son, Mick, has been a wonderful help. He's... Uh, Jack Dowsworth's daughter Liz too and I think so I think it was the right decision uh, to, to start from 1945. Now reading reading it what struck me especially the earlier guys from the 1940s, 1940s onward yeah. how bloody hard they were and yeah. how I mean just that you know you casually mentioned that he broke his collarbone <laughs> or, or, yeah. or dislocated his ankle or broke his back even or broke yeah. his neck I mean and these guys were driving to places like Newton Abbott before there was motorways yep. in cars that probably weren't Rolls Royces, yep. uh, you know, were, were you sort of were you sort of shocked by the the casual way these sort of injuries and you know? yeah, quite remarkable, isn't it? This was the World War Two generation. A lot of these guys, these early post-war champions, served with distinction in World War Two. Brian Marshall, for instance, 
who was the third champion after World War Two, actually got a, a, a sniper's bullet in his neck on the first day of the D-Day landings. And he survived that to become a champion jump jockey. They were remarkably tough and quite incredible. I mean, Chris Cook, who reviewed the book for the Racing Post, said he spent half the book wincing, uh, reading about these injuries so these did people I. got. Uh, <laughs> and it really is quite remarkable. Jack Dowdswell called him Jumping Jack, Mr. Indestructible. He was, he was quite remarkable. He broke every bone in his body and some several times over. And there's a great story that once he was being uh, taken away unconscious again from a racetrack in an ambulance and the medics, the two medics were there chatting away and saying, well, he won't ever ride again, will he? That was a terrible smash. And then Jack Dowsel, who they thought was unconscious, pops up. He says, yes, I bloody well will. <laughs> And, there, there was and that was Jack Dowsworth. Nothing could stop him. And he lived to the ripe old age of 94. <laughs> did you stumble upon any... I mean, most of these things you've already said are surprising, but did you stumble upon any stories that really surprised you? You thought, blimey, you know, why has nobody told this before? Yeah, I, I, I think it's those stories from the 40s and 50s of just how they just raced through everything. They literally... There was no this business about, oh, you've had a knock, you've got to stand down for the rest of the race meeting or till tomorrow. Uh, it, literally, they had to be dead if they weren't going <laughs> to be, be back riding again soon. Quite remarkable. Tim, uh, Tim Maloney, for example, did one race I describe at Aintree where just about everything that could happen did. Uh, it, it, every horse fell, remounted, and Tim actually won the race. And he came in, his face was smothered in blood. Uh, so it, <laughs> it was literally blood, blood-stained victories and, and remarkable toughness. And as you said... Just now, uh, think about the travelling aspect of it. There were no motorways. There were long journeys, although racing tended to be more regionalised. They were just remarkable characters who literally wouldn't whinge about their injuries, would just, just brush it off and come back you know, the next day. Or, or if they did have a layoff, it would be back as soon as they could. And quite remarkable. Yeah, not quite the, the strict doctors that they've got these days. No, and I, and I think the other thing to point out is they did it with a smile on their face too. Yeah. I mean, the laughter that there was on course. I mean, there's some great stories about Terry Biddlecombe and Josh Gifford. The clowning that they did, uh, even during a race. I mean, it was uh, quite remarkable when Josh Gifford swallowed his false teeth in one race because he, so, he laughed so much. He was laughing so much during the race, he swallowed his false teeth. There was great laughter and, and it, was, it, was, it was less serious in many ways. And earlier on, in the book, you know, 40s and 50s. I don't think anybody sort of set out, I'm going to be the champion jockey this season. It sort of just happened. Yeah. And, and there was a fantastic camaraderie with these guys and, and fantastic humour as well. Now, there's a story that I've, I've been trying to wrap my brains thinking about who it was, but somebody was inspired by somebody falling is what he yes. thought was a fatal fall. Yeah. He thought, blimey, that guy's dead. Yeah. And then the, the jockey got up and he, he swore yes and, th- and then years later the guy that he inspired was in the same hospital as him and said Arminia because of you that was uh... yes and it's a wonderful story there was a, I think it was a 12 year old boy goes to one of the west country tracks I think might have been Buckfastley or Newton Abbott and he's, he's taken by his stepfather and they're standing by the final fence and the horse comes to it crashing fall jockey crushed underneath the horse and the son the young boy thinks the jockey's dead Jockey eventually gets up and throws his whip to the ground and says, effing hell, swears. And then the young boy thought, that's what I want to be. That, that is a man. That is a real... Well, that, amazing, I'd love to do that. That's the amazing part. I mean, you'd think most people would look at it and think, bloody hell, I don't no. fancy that job. He said, that's what I want to do. And this young man, he became a, an amateur jumps jockey and he rode in the West Country tracks and he had a crashing fall and he broke his back and he ended up in Oswestry Orthopaedic Hospital. And 
would you believe it, in the same ward coming out on crutches, and because he'd broken his back very badly, was the jockey. The jockey was Tim Brookshaw, and the young boy was Sir Mark Prescott. That's right. And he said that moment was what got him into racing. And he said to Tim Brookshaw, you're the reason why I'm here. Yeah. Great want, story, isn't it? I want it? you to tell us about your three favourites in a minute. But first of all, there's another story that I... Um, that I liked was when Dick Francis went for an interview and for the first 20 minutes they thought he'd come as the new come yeah. to apply as the new vicar he has a wonderful story he, he was had an interview with the very grand Peter Caslett at Fairlaw grand state his grand sort of country house in Kent and Peter Caslett also had the interviewing rights for the for, for the new vicar for the for the parish and he got confused because he he you know presumed this this sort of very mild-mannered very very well-spoken polite young man who came to see him was actually interviewing for the vicar's job and uh, Dick Francis was called Mother Francis by a nickname by some of the weighing room colleagues who were who, who like people like Dave Dick who were famous for their carousing and their you know chasing women and drinking carousing all through the night and he was seen by some of them as being a slightly pious slight you know not not sort of not sort of devil may care character and Cazalet so the story goes so uh, uh, Peter Cazalet mistook Dick Francis for, for the vicar, for, 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 for the man who was interviewing for the job of the vicar, and not for his new stable jockey, which of course he became. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. So right, there's, there's a, I, I don't know how many there are in here, but give me your three favourites. Yeah. Give us a bit about three of the, the ones that you enjoyed uh, learning about the most or writing about. I think Richard Dunwoody was uh, an incredibly engaging character, very interesting character. I uh, interviewed him. He's based in Spain now, and I interviewed him long interviews, Skype and Zoom. He was very generous with his time, and what a remarkable character. I'd actually interviewed Richard Dunwoody before for the Daily Express about when he walked, believe it or not, the length of Japan for medical charity. And Richard Dunwoody, I'm sure people know, you know, fantastic champion. They called him the Prince, brilliant rider, uh, who then, you know, he left the job at Martin Pipe, the best job in racing after being champion three times. He kind of went freelance. And then after he retired through injury, he then did some incredible things. You know, he walked to the North Pole. He walked to the South Pole. And, you know, a remarkable, a very interesting character who I, I just you, you, I just could talk to him all day. He's such a, such a nice man as well. So I really enjoyed that chapter on Richard. Uh, Graham Thorner, only, say, only won the one title. But that's an amazing story how he won it in 1971 because he was stable jockey to Captain Tim Forster. And that wasn't perhaps... Uh, Captain Tim Forster was a great trainer. Three Grand National winners uh, testified to that. But he wasn't the sort of trainer you want to be based with if you wanted to become champion jockey because he very famously never ran horses on fast ground or hard ground in the early parts of the season. And to be a champion, as you'll see in the book, it's a huge help to have get those early wins on the board at Newton Abbott and Devon and Exeter and all these other places in the West Country on the hard ground in August and nearly all the champions did that and uh, Graham Thorner was kind of grounded in a way who he was working for and it wasn't that Forster didn't go out of his way to help Thorner become champion he didn't do anything he didn't do anything to he did, it not only went out of his way to hinder him he didn't do anything to help him he wouldn't run horses on the wrong ground he thought just to help his stable jockey become champion so you could argue that Thorner won it in spite of Captain Tim Forster's modus operandi. So that was a tough, a tough win really for Thorner to actually win it in those circumstances. And he spoke very frankly about his relationship with Captain Forster, who, you know, most people would agree wouldn't be the easiest man to work for. He was a great man for the press, great, great, uh, great, uh, 
great quips and stories, but he was a hard taskmaster, and, and Graham Thorne did very well to win to win the title as a stable jockey to him. And I suppose who would be the third? Well, it's very hard. I mean, Jack Dowdswell was was a character you can't help warm to. He he, as I said, he broke every bone in his body, some several times over, but he was always smiling, and he was always cheerful. Everybody loved him. And he was still riding out at Lambourne in deep into his 70s, even in his 80s, he was riding out in the mornings. He was a Lambourne legend. As I said, he died at the age of 94. So I think he, he was one of the characters that you can't help but be inspired by. And how many of these guys were new to you when you start, after you started the book? Did you know about all of them? Well, I'd heard of them, but I didn't know that much about some of them. I mean, Tim Maloney was somebody who, just remarkable how he was, five times champion jockey fantastic record he won four champion hurdles in a row uh, remarkable rider but the most incredible thing about Tim Maloney is that many judges and many many uh, judges who would be who would be respected judges say that as brilliant as he was his brother Martin Maloney was even better Martin Maloney's CV when you look at it you think this can't be true he won classics on the flat uh, in Ireland and he won big races big jump races in Ireland and in England and he he people who, who watched them both said and Tim Maloney himself actually said that Martin was the better rider and that seems quite fantastic literally bearing in mind how good Tim Maloney was and how tough he was to win five jockeys championships but his brother even better so that, that was something that I wasn't really aware of before I had heard of Martin Maloney but just how remarkable people say he was the greatest horseman that ever lived yeah, you're sat here at, um, at Kempton promoting this book. Have you got another one in, in the pipeline already? Have you got, well, a few ideas. Project? Yes, a few ideas. You're going to do 1900 it. to 1945. Yes, that as a possibility. Or champion jump trainers would be another good one because there's some great characters. In fact, the trainers obviously are, are part of the book. The the, the, uh, the, the great trainers of the post-war so period. Dovetail into what Captain Tim done. Forster. We've got to mention Martin Pipe. Martin Pipe is a key figure in the book because if you look at the figures that the champion jockeys won their titles with. In, of course, 1946-7, Jack Dowsell was a low figure because of the, the winter of 47 when we had no racing from January to March. But generally speaking, you could still win a title, jockey's title, on 70 to 80 or 90 winners into the 70s, early 70s. You could still win on 77, 80, depending on injuries to other competitors. Then, of course, we get people topping the hundreds for the first time. You know, we get Ron, big Ron Barry and, and John John Joe O'Neill gets 149 in 19 in the early 80s, and people think, "Wow, John Frankham, another brilliant champion." Compare that to climbing Everest. And then we 149, <laughs> completely blown out the water by a chap called Scudamore, Peter Scudamore, who goes up in the 200s. And what changes the game? Why is it that we're now getting 200 to win a title? Well, yeah, there's more racing. Yes, there's motorways. Yes, they can go hit more meetings at helicopters. So a champion now needs to get 200 on the board. But there's also a man called Martin Pipe. You know, West Country legend, legend of racing, the most successful trainer in history. Incredibly nice man. He came to, the, to the, our book launch very generously, uh, hosted by Chepstow Racecourse. And it was wonderful to meet, to chat to him. He, his role in racing, national hunt racing, cannot be un, under, underestimated or underplayed because he basically, every, for every jockey, Bar one for a short period, David Bridgewater, who was there a very, very short time as his number one stable jockey. Every other jockey who rode his first jockey for Pipe in that period became the champion and, and then put, put on the board these incredible totals in the two high 200s and, of course, culminating with the phenomenon 
called A.P. McCoy, who then even blows Scudamore's records out the water, doesn't he? So how, how far can it go? I mean, you know, what are your predictions for the next, the yeah. next 10 years? I mean, the, these guys bust those records either or as McCoy hit the pinnacle. I think probably he had, because there's the, there was Pipe, Martin Pipe Factor, Martin Pipe obviously not training anymore, and of course David has done well, but it's a different kind of outfit now. We're not getting the, the numbers of runners, and uh, of course we've and got... they caught the, up with Pipe as well, haven't they? they they've exactly, he was an innovator. He, he was the man who transistorised racing, as Mark Prescott said in the 80s. Uh, his, his methods were copied. People At first there was great resentment to him, there was jealousy, let's face it, and then trainers thought, hang on, we can't beat him, we'll copy him. And that's what happened. Uh, so I think it's unlikely we're going to get a champion jockey. Uh, never say never, but uh, because of course the current rule about riding in one meeting a day introduced during the COVID restrictions, that will have to go if we're going to get that. Because if you think back to Dunwoody, one of the great title races in the book, which I described, epic, Dunwoody v Maguire. Dunwoody versus Adrian Maguire, 1993-4. I mean, those guys did thousands and thousands of miles in the last few weeks of the championship that season. Literally, I go into it in detail in the book, you know, Dunwoody would be riding at Exeter, then he'd get a helicopter up to Market Raisin, then he'd be driving up to Scotland the next day to Perth, <laughs> then driving down to Cartmel, driving that night for an evening meeting at your Toxador or somewhere. Incredible all in one week. And Maguire was doing the same thing. They were doing, and that wouldn't happen today because of the new rules about one meeting, riding at one meeting a day. Yep. So I think it's unlikely we're going to get that, but you never know. Okay, no, I think I might have given the title out to show us your book. For anybody yep. that's interested in buying it, you can get it from Rupert Mackerson on the race course. Who's yeah, a very good place. Up, and I'm doing um, some more signings up and down the country. Yeah, still. and you, on normal online places. And yes, anywhere else you White Owl Publishers, yes. Amazon. Uh, you know, they've all got it there. Stuff but, like in, uh, hold it up a bit, Neil. Yeah. Yeah, we can vouch for this as a cracking read. So, um, anyway, Neil Clark, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Simon. Enjoy that. Thanks. Cheers. New betting people interviews are published every week at Star Sports. Exclusive interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting. Check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk. Begambleaware.org. Over 18 only.